Amen. Good morning. Thank Dan Yu for, and our worship team for how they've led us this morning. Audra, thank you so much for that wonderful prayer. Uh, we do indeed need to be mindful of the times. Uh, Jesus called us to do that, uh, to watch, uh, because the day is approaching. And I also appreciate her prayer for, for me as I stand before you this morning. Uh, I have to admit that I always stand up here feeling inadequate, okay, to uh, proclaim God's word uh, to God's people. So I appreciate so much the prayer that uh, through the power of the spirit that dwells not only in me, uh, but dwells in each of God's people, uh, that he would give us ears to hear, uh, that the words that come out of my mouth may not be my own, but as they land upon your ear, I pray that the, the, the spirit of truth, the spirit that guides us, that the spirit that gives us understanding, that as those words leave, before they hit your ear, they coat themselves with that understanding, with that power, and that as you hear, you, you not hear so much from me, uh, but that you hear through the power of the Spirit. For he alone is able to open up hearts, to open up minds, so that his people uh, can understand his truth. And then not only understand it, uh, but to go forth and to live that truth out in everything that we do. Because the goal of life, the goal of life, is that in everything we do, that we please him. So thank you for that prayer this morning. And, and thank you guys for being here. Uh, what a blessing it is to, to look out upon an audience of people that I know love the Lord. Uh, that makes this so much, much easier. I could only imagine the Apostle Paul standing before a, a crowd of hostile rebels who would want to do anything other than uh, to heed his words and to lift up the God of creation. I just can imagine that he had to stand there and, and stand firm and say, thus saith the Lord. So for me to stand here this morning and, and be received by people who love me, well, just praise the Lord for that. I am so glad to do that. So this morning we will return to Matthew's gospel. Audra's read that for us. We will certainly be going through the rest of that, going through that again as we go through the, the message this morning. Uh, we have entitled our series, Living in the Kingdom, the Sermon on the Mount. It's, this is Jesus' inaugural ministry, inaugural message uh, to his people as he proclaims and begins to live out uh, the purpose for which he had come, uh, to save lost humanity. And so we are very appreciative of what Christ has said. Uh, last week, uh, Pastor James Lynch uh, taught from Matthew 31, 5, 31, and 32. Now, if you haven't heard that message, I will exhort you, please find some time this week uh, to go back and hear what James taught about on a very difficult subject, uh, the subject of divorce. And I know that many in our congregation have dealt with the trauma of divorce, and we've been blessed here at West Park uh, through our Knox Haven ministry uh, to offer a gathering that's called Divorce Care that really has been set up uh, to minister to those who are struggling through the aftermath, the trauma of divorce. If, if you would like more information about that, please call our church office and they would be happy uh, to give you uh, what you need to know about Divorce Care. Uh, 
Now, as Elder James was speaking uh, concerning Jesus' uh, teaching about divorce, he, uh, he latched upon a topic that I want to continue on as we talk this morning. Uh, he, was, he was pointing out the fact that Jesus and his message was confronting the religious leaders specifically, but the people in general, about these loopholes, these loopholes that they had created so that they could live in a manner that was acceptable to them, but did not line up with the teachings of Scripture. And so in verses 33 through 37 this morning, we see yet another loophole, yet another loophole that the religious leaders had put into place and that the people had adopted wholeheartedly. Uh, and this loophole is a serious one. And I certainly think it resonates uh, with our culture today. Uh, it has to do with the words that we say, but not only the words that we say, the intention behind those words. Do we intend to live out what our words mean? And hence, the title of this message, Be Very Careful. Be very careful in what you say in order to live up to what you've said because you mean to follow through with what you've said. Uh, in particular, Jesus is going to be talking about oaths. Uh, but as we talk, we're gonna, you're going to hear me say not only oaths, you're going to hear me say promises, uh, commitments, vows, pledges, so forth. Because I think what Jesus was doing, he was lifting up the highest example of what an oath is and what it represents, uh, the very words that we say. But by extension, it's not only the oath that we make to God, but it's also the commitments, the pledges, the promises that we make to one another. These are serious issues, and we should undertake those with all of the seriousness uh, that is in our being, and we need to be very careful. And so to guide us through this message, I've got three little points. Uh, I want to go over the background first, because I want to establish firmly in your mind the principle that the religious leaders were trying to evade. Uh, the principle that they were wanting to create a loophole in so that they could get from underneath the burden of God's expectations. So as the background, we want to talk about what is that principle that God is, expects for, from his people as we seek to live out the words that we say. And then I want to leave you with a word of application. So first, the background. Let me go back and look again at verse number 33, here's what Jesus says. Again, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Now, this is the issue that the loophole had been created by the religious leaders. We will soon say that the words we say are indeed very important. And during that day, to swear an oath uh, we, the, the religious leaders recognized that the only entity that we could hold an oath to would be God himself. And once we made that commitment, we had to follow through. So in their wacky way of thinking, they had convinced themselves, well, if I don't swear by God's name, then I can go to a lower standard. And if I use that lower standard, if I decide that I'm going to break it, 
Well, that's okay. Folks, that's not okay. And so that's why Jesus is making this emphasis on do not swear by any of these lesser things because any oath, any commitment, any pledge, any promise that you make, God is your witness. And it's as if you had made it to him. Now, here's what I want to do concerning the background. Because again, the religious leaders knew full well what an oath and a commitment meant. They knew it because of the history that God has with his people. And so I'm going to go back to the Old Testament, and you're going to have to keep your Bibles open as we jump around. Uh, in fact, we're going to look at two examples from the Old Testament record of where promises were made, where oaths were given, where vows were pledged, and the expectation was you will follow through with what you have said. So be very careful. Uh, one of the examples that I'm going to use is from a person, a human being, who had made a commitment. And then the other will be a commitment that's made by the Lord God Almighty himself. So first, the, the human pledge or commitment. It's, it's a story that I think and I hope that many of you are very familiar with. It's the sad vow of Jephthah. And that story for Jephthah is found for us in Judges uh, chapter 11. So turn there with me, if you would, Judges chapter 11. Now, for the sake of time this morning, and the fact that I need to be very careful about how many words I say, uh, I'm not going to go through that entire story. But I would recommend and highly suggest to you that get, get some time this week and read through Jephthah's story. As uh, Ardra was praying this morning, we, we understand what's going on in Israel, uh, and our hearts are heavy, but we must always remember that God has a plan for Israel. And as you read through the New Old Testament, you can see those promises and plans that God has established. And Jephthah's story goes along with that. Uh, so I'm going to pick the story up at verse number 29. Again, I'm going to read Judges 11. 29 through 31. This kind of sets the stage for the vow that Jephthah makes. Then the Spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah. And he passed through Gilead and Manasseh and passed on to Mispath of Gilead. And from Mispath of Gilead, he passed on to the Ammonites. Verse 30. Here we go, guys. Listen up. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, if you will give the Adamites into my hands, then whatever comes out of from my doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's, and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. So in these verses, we find Jephthah making a promise to the Lord. And look, certainly there's nothing wrong in having the desire to swear an oath to God. But as we will soon, very soon see, Jephthah and his enthusiasm to humble himself before the Lord went, far, went too far in what he said. It reminds us of what Jesus says in our text this morning, verse 37. Uh, Anything more than this comes from evil. Anything more than this comes from evil. God had already spoken to Jephthah that he would deliver Israel. So there should not have been any concern on his part about God fulfilling his promises. 
God will always carry out what he has promised. You know, it seemed as if Jephthah had to add something to ensure that God would not back out on his promise. It's as if he thought adding a little bit of works on his part to faith would impress God so that God would bless him as being deserving of his promises. It won't. We gain God's favor not by demonstrating our worthiness, but rather by faithfully obeying what he's told us to do. You know, works are important, but not to get God to do what he's already promised that he would do, but as an acknowledgement of the fact that we have faith. And as I shared with our equipping class this morning, my working definition of faith is that God will do in the future what he has promised that he will do based on what he has done in the past and what he's doing right now. God will do in the future what he's promised that he will do based on what he's doing right now and what he's done in the past. And that's exactly what God did. He showed himself mightily by delivering the enemies of Israel into Jephthah's hand to fulfill his promise. That's how the story works out. And we see that in the 34th and 35th verse of Judges 11. Let me read those. Here's Jephthah. He has, he has reached out to God, made a vow, went over and above what he should have said, goes into battle. The Lord does exactly what he, he said he would do. He delivered God's enemies of Israel into his hand. Jephthah is victorious, and now he heads back home. But that vow is hanging over his head. And verse 34 says, Then Jephthah came to his home at Mizpah, and behold, his daughter. His daughter came out to meet him with tambourines and with dances. She was his only child. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. Verse 35, And as soon as he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low. And you have become the cause of great trouble to me, for I have opened my mouth to the Lord, and I cannot take back my vow. Religious leaders of Jesus' day knew this story. They, they knew the impact of making a vow to the Lord. So they had established a lower standard, thinking that would relieve them of their responsibilities. It won't. It won't. It's a sad story. There's a lot of implications about from this story, and, and I'm not going to go into those this morning. But the point I want to pull out of this story is this. If you make a vow to the Lord, you're obligated to follow through. So for Jephthah, this was a day of reckoning, and with great pain, he delivered on his vow. So be very, very careful about the promises you make. Now, on the other hand, we, we need to look at an example of the wonderful promises made by God and to the extent that God will go to, to keep his promises. So here's our second example from the Old Testament writing, again, that the leaders of that day were, were intimately familiar with. And it has to do about the very nature and character of God. So turn with me to the book of Genesis. And we're going to look at Genesis chapter 12. 
Hey, and this is an oath that really speaks to the nature, the character of the oath giver, the Lord God Almighty. And I pray that as we walk briefly through this story, it just grabs your heart. It grabs your heart with an intensity that demonstrates that you understand the love that God, that propels God to feel, fulfill his promises. Uh, the, the promise that he eventually would make to send a savior so that we would reap the benefits of having a relationship with God for all eternity. We can count on our God to fulfill his promises because every word that he says is true. And the words that he expects from his people, he expects them to be true as well. So turn to Genesis chapter 12. Hey, let me just reread Genesis 12, 1 through 3, and the promise God makes to Abraham. Here's the oath. Verse number 1, Genesis 12. Now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. We need to hear that word today. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in all the families of the earth shall be blessed, and in you. So this promise, this vow, this pledge, this commitment, which God has shown to Abraham is one that he intends to fulfill. And in order to fulfill this, God puts his reputation on the line. Let's see how he does that. It's just an interesting way that God puts his reputation on the line and demonstrates that for us today. So Abraham goes along and many years have transpired and, and he starts to waver just a little bit in his understanding of how God is going to bless them. So he asks God and in Genesis 12 verse 8, here's what the question that Abraham puts before God. But he said, Abraham said, Oh Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? How am I to know, God, that you're going to fulfill what you have promised? So God provides in his graciousness a symbol that would represent his pledge to Abraham. And it's captured first in verses 9 and 10 of Genesis 15. Now let me read that for you. Here we go. Genesis 15, verses 9 and 10. And, he said, and God said to Abraham, he said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought all these, Abraham brought him all these things. And this is what Abraham did. He cut them in half, and he laid the halves opposite one another. Cut them in half and laid them opposite of each other. Now that's very, very important. And I don't have time to talk about why two turtle doves or why a young pigeon. I don't have time to go into those details, but I, I want to really highlight and get to the bottom line because I've got a few words here that I need to say this morning and get to the point of what this represented. The representation if you were to go down and, and look at verse number 17, 
Here's what it says. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. Now, what had just taken place? When the sun went down, the manifestation of God, a theophany, represented by the smoking firepot and the flaming torch, passed between the pathway that Abraham had just created. It represented the fact that God had just signed the contract. He had just put his name on the contract that said, and catch this, this is the important issue there. God is saying, as I walk through the torn apart bodies of this sacrifice, if I were to break my promise to you, Abraham, may it also be done to me. Now think about that. This is the Lord God Almighty. He is pledging to Abraham, if I break my promise, may it be to me as it is to these sacrifices. May I be torn asunder and be split in half if I were to violate the oath, the pledge, the promise, the commitment that I have made to you. What an awesome demonstration of the character of our God. The religious leaders in Jesus' day knew that. They knew that they could not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain because in doing so, they recognized the extent to which God would hold them accountable. So what they did, they created a loophole. They said, okay, we, we're not going to take that chance. But let's look at Jerusalem. Let's look at the temple. Let's look at the earth. We can swear by those things. Because if we fail to, make, to keep our promises, we won't come under the condemnation that God has established by which oaths, promises, vows are committed. And Jesus says, stop it. Stop it. It's not that he was saying any, he was saying that you should not make promises, even oaths and commitments. But what you should not do is lower the standard of expectation. Lower the standard that you, my people, will do all that you can to keep what you have promised. Be very careful in the words that you say. So that brings me to talking about this principle. What is the principle? So we've talked about the background, and here's what Jesus goes on to say. Again, uh, your attention back to Matthew 5. And look at 34 and 35 again. But as I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is a throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great God, the great king. Again, the loophole. They thought it was the name of God that they could lower the standard and look at heaven and Thor, the, the, uh, the Jerusalem and, and the city and the footstool and say, oh, we're safe if we lower the standard. And Jesus is saying, no, you can't lower the standard because here's the first principle. The earth is the Lord's. Be very careful about who you think is in control 
of God's earth. Now look at Psalms 24, verses 1 through 4. Here's what the Bible declares about the earth and Jerusalem and everything that's contained in it. Be careful that if you think you can lower the standard of God by looking at these created things. Because here's what the Bible declares. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and those who dwell within. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? Verse 4, he who has clean hands, a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to do what is false and does not swear deceitfully. Beloved of the Lord, be very careful about what you say because this is what God expects. Even Satan, who God has allowed to roam about as the prince of the power of the air, understands that it's only because of the sovereignty of God of a creation that he's allowed to do so. Even Satan gets it about God's control. The real question is, sometimes we act just like those religious leaders of that day. Sometimes the question is, we act as if we don't realize that. But you know, it really doesn't matter if we get it or not. God has declared that it is so. He is in control. And it should bring each of us to great comfort in understanding that that is the case. Uh, the, the, the religious leaders of that day knew that every oath was in essence a commitment before God. And to, feel to, to, keep, to fail to keep it would bring dire circumstances. So they began that system of swearing by some other lesser object in order to give them, in their own minds, a sense of protection. They deceived themselves into believing that if, if they were to seal their pledge by any of those lesser things, then they could break their vows with impunity. Jesus told them to stop fooling themselves. All pledges are before God, and don't try to convince yourself otherwise. So that brings me to the second principle. God is in control of everything. Be very careful of what you think you control. God's in control. We need to be very careful about those things that think we think we actually control. Now, uh, if you really believe the first principle, then this second principle ought to be a piece of cake. Because if, if God is in control of everything, you need to be very careful, and you should be think carefully about the things you think that you control. But Jesus was speaking to them again because they had gotten that issue kind of misconstrued. And so in verse 36 of Matthew 5, he says, And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. They weren't in control of that. I, I'm so glad, just as a side note, I'm so glad that I'm not talking about this morning 1 Corinthians 11. That's that chapter where Paul teaches about head coverings and long hair. Now, if you've got questions about that, just call the church office and ask to speak with Pastor Sam. He's got the answers to all of that. But here's the bottom line. The bottom line is that the sovereign God of the universe is reminding us that our control is limited. We can't even control the color of our hair. The principle of God's sovereignty 
should not cause God's people any level of concern. Rather, it should be a source of great strength and confidence for us. That's the reason, listen people, listen. That's the reason God commands us not to be anxious over anything. So just a quick note about anxiety. There's ample biblical evidence for the emotion, the biblical emotion of concern. As the Apostle Paul voiced for t- to Timothy, as Timothy was being sent to the church of Ephesus, biblical concern is a virtue that God has given to each and every one of us. However, that whole issue of biblical concern has been impacted by the destructive influence of sin, causing it, and watch this transition, causing biblical concern to transition into ungodly anxiety. It's okay to have concern. We need to be concerned about Israel right now. We need to be concerned if our kids are going to make it home safely at night when they're on their first date. We need to be concerned if we've studied well enough to pass the test uh, that we've labored to take. We should be concerned if our our jobs are going to be here so that we can pay the obligations uh, that we've made. There is absolutely nothing wrong with biblical concern. God has given that to us. But the issue is when we allow concern to transition into anxiety, the Bible is very clear. In Philippians chapter 4, he says, put it away and be anxious for nothing. Be concerned. Be very concerned. But watch that transition from concern to anxiety. Because in essence, we're questioning the sovereignty of God. Isaiah, the prophet, says about our God in Isaiah 46, verse 10, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times not yet done, saying, my counsel, this is God's counsel, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish my purpose. He will accomplish his purposes that he has ordained for you. Isaiah 14, 24 says it differently. The Lord of hosts has sworn, as I have planned, so shall it be, and as I have purposed, so shall it stand. That's our God, the sovereign God, the Lord God Almighty. That's the promise that he's given to you. He will accomplish his purposes, and we don't need to be worried about it. We need not be anxious over anything. But God also said, here's an expectation. Exodus 27 You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Now listen, put yourself in the place of those religious leaders. They knew this command. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. They understood the seriousness of that. Be very careful in what you say. Be careful in understanding that the earth is the Lord and everything that it contains. That includes you, includes your words. And when you say those words, you're saying them before the ever-watching, ever-hearing ears of our Lord God Almighty. And not only should we have that high standard towards God, we, the, uh, Moses would go on in Exodus 20:16 and said to one another, in our relationships with one another, 
You shall not bear false witness against your, your neighbor. Uh, you shall not lie. You should not talk to your neighbors recognizing that you're not really being truthful. That is a violation of God's command. It was good then, and it's good now. And Jesus came to fulfill what he had spoken. So be very careful about what you say. Here's a third principle. Be very careful. Your words reflect what's in your heart. Your words reflect what's in your heart. And your heart is, your, is the core essence of yourself. And the Bible speaks of the heart in that way. It's just not this little organ that's going dumping up in our chest. Uh, the heart represents the totality of who we are as human beings. And so Matthew 12, verses 33 through 37, helps us to understand the impact of our heart and a clean heart. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew 12, verses uh, 33 through 37. Either make the tree good or its fruits, and its fruits good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the, truth, the tree is known by its fruit. If we break our vows, the words and commitments that we, that the truth will get out about you. You brood of vipers, in verse 34. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure bring forth, brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. All right, listen to verse 36 and 37. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. Now, I don't know what you mean, you understand the meaning of every is, but I don't know what's left out of every. Okay? Every careless word, every false word, every vow, promise, commitment, pledge that you never had intentions of fulfilling or for whatever reason you elect to break, God is saying you will be held accountable. For verse 37 says, for by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. They understood that. They had to create a loophole. And many people followed them through that loophole. Well, this morning, beloved, we need to close the loophole. Be very careful, because your words reflect what's in your heart. And then here's the final principle. Uh, the first three principles were the earth is the Lord. Be very careful about who you think is in control. Number two, God is in control of everything. Be very careful over what you think you control. Number three, your, your heart defines who you are. Be very careful. Your words reflect what's in your heart. Now, here's the fourth. I think I want to skip this one, but I can't. I want to skip it, but I can't because he smacks me right in the face. But I gotta say what God has told me to say. Number four, only God can control the tongue. Be very careful. Your tongue, Al, your tongue, Al, is out of control. Your tongue is out of control. Listen to what James, Jesus' brother, and the leader of the first church at Jerusalem had to say, James chapter three, Verses 8 through 11. But no human being. Hmm. I'll, I'll read that again. 
But no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father. With it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessings and cursings. My brothers, my sisters, these things ought not to be. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither shall a salt pond yield fresh water. The words of the religious leaders of that day revealed where their heart was. Evil controlled their tongues. Our challenge today is, what controls our tongue? Because you can't control it. I can't control it. I fight with it all the time. Just ask my wife. But God is telling me, if I yield to him and the power of the Spirit, he's in the process of transforming that evil tongue that so easily defies who I am. And who am I? I'm a child of the king. Who are you? If you're born again, you're a child of the king. And you may fall sometimes. We all do. But praise be to God, he is faithful to his promises. And his promise is that he will complete the work that he has started in you until that day of Jesus Christ. So, so don't get frustrated. Just pick yourself up, ask for forgiveness, and move on. You can't control your tongue, but God can. Be very careful about the words you say. So let me close out by just giving a couple of points of application. And, and again, uh, go back and, and look at Jesus' words, Matthew 5, and look at verse 37. He says, understand this. When you say something, you really don't have to say, by God's name, I commit to this. Or any other object to, to give uh, validity to the words that you're going to say. Because as a believer and a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you recognize that when you get ready to say something, you're going to follow through. Because that's God's expectation. And you're getting ready to make that commitment to him. So Jesus says, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Remember Jephthah's story. So here's the two points very quickly that I want to put out there. Um, be careful to only say what you mean, mean what you say, and above all else, you only use as many words as is needed. You don't have to say anything more. So let me go back through that. Be very careful to only say what you mean, mean what you say, and above all else, use as few words as possible. I have to pray that for myself all the time, because I like to talk. Use as few words as needed to communicate what you're trying to say. Proverbs 10, 19 gives us this warning. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. That's a godly principle we need to put into place. Only say what is needed. But when you say it, mean what you say and do what you've said.
Learn to think more, Al, to speak less, Al. But when you do, please remember to only say what you mean and always only mean what you say. Be very careful about what you say and how many words it takes to say it. That's the first principle of application I'd like to leave with you this morning. Here's the second one. Now, when you have a need to speak and to make a commitment, please follow the following godly principles that should govern all of our communication. Not only those words of pledges and, and commitments and vows and oaths, but in everything that we say to one another, here are four little principles that you need to use that governs your communication. Now, I really would like for you to turn in your Bibles to this. This is Ephesians chapter 4. Take a moment and just flip over there. Let me, let me hear those pages of flipping through that noise of pages flipping. I don't know what you guys do for, on your, your uh, electronic devices, but let's hear some pages flipping. There we go. Ephesians chapter 4. Okay? Here's what Paul has to say, starting in verse number 25. And I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 through 32. I may skip a couple verses, but you'll follow along. 25 and, verses 25, 26, and 27 says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are all members one of another. Verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. 27, and give no opportunity to the devil. Jump down to verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Jump down to verse 31. So let all bitterness, wrath, and anger, and clamor, and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. But be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. The four biblical guidelines for wholesome, healthy, God-honoring speech in those verses that I just read. Here are the four guidelines. First one. Verse 25, be honest. Again, that's directly what Jesus was confronting. Uh, the falsity of the, commit, the communication that was coming from the religious leaders of that day. Instead, the Bible's admonition in our communication is that we should be honest with one another. We'll read verse 25 again. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Always be honest in your communications. What's the second guideline for a wholesome Christian speak? It's in verses 26 and 27. It's the principle of keep current. Keep current. Verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. That's a whole message in itself. But here's what Paul says. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Now what he's really saying there is don't have a long period of time before you address any conflict that you have with someone else. And by doing so, you will not give opportunity to the devil in verse 27. 
Listen up, beloved. Conflict unresolved long enough transitions into a root of bitterness. We need to address conflict, the words that we say, in as timely a manner as possible. We call that the principle of staying current. Staying current. So be honest, keep current. Here's the third one. Here's the third one. Attack problems, not people. That's verse 29. Attack problems, not people. Here's what Paul says. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good from building up. So much of speech that I hear nowadays, especially coming from the beloved of the Lord, is aimed at tearing people down. Well, when you do, just think about this verse. This is not a talking about correcting someone in love. Paul earlier in chapter 4 says, always speak the truth in love. Uh, we may have truth, but we've developed a, a habit of not speaking it in love. And by doing so, we're tearing people down. But Paul says in verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion. That's another reason why you need to keep it current. You need to focus on what's happening in the moment. Keep it current. So many of us want to pull up things that happened 10 years ago. Well, our core principle of forgiveness is you don't bring it up again. Keep it current as fits the occasion that it may give grace. Grace to those who hear. That's principle number three, or guideline number three. Here's the last guideline, guideline number four. Act, don't react. That's verses 31 and 32. Act, don't react. Here's what Paul says again. Let all bitterness, don't react in bitterness. And wrath, don't act in wrath. And anger, that's ungodly anger. Clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Instead, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as Christ, God in Christ forgave you. Our communication should always be governed by the fact that we understand God has forgiven us of all of our sins. So that's what I tell you, I say to you this morning. We need to understand that our oaths, our pledges, our commitments, our vows are critical before the Lord. There's not a loophole. Uh, the leaders of that day were trying to create a system that would allow them to bypass the understanding that what we say before the Lord our God, well, what we utter is heard by him, is being recorded by him, and we will each give an account for those things that we have said. That's the background. That's the principle. Those are the applications. Go forth and do likewise. Our Father and our God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are a God who keeps all of his promises. And we thank you, Lord, that we have the opportunity to model that before others as your people who are called to to represent your name uh, before a world that desperately, desperately needs you. Help us to reflect upon these truths, Lord. But more than that, help us to live out these truths in our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.